Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Today, we have some special guests, some good friends of mine that are just crushing it in the game of real estate investing, particularly in the syndications. They just got their second huge multifamily syndication project underway, so uh, so it's pretty pretty exciting, something new. The first one was 98 units. The second one is 117 units. So we got Ben Lepovich and Sam Grooms. What's up? Hey, Brandon. Thanks for having us. Brandon, pleasure to be with you. You know, I, I love Ben so much because uh, just your personality is so, you know, you, you and me butt heads a lot, but also, uh, you know, we just have so much damn fun. Dude, 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 we don't butt heads. I'm like an elephant up here. You're a little... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> So, uh, so I think I'm it's going to be nice fun. Guy in the world. So I'm like, Sam's gonna, I'm like, <laughs> Sam's going to be the mediator here. Yeah. <laughs> and be able to, you know, put, put some intelligence behind this and try to pull it all together. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you guys are that, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're not on the same planet as us. Do you mind just kind of diving in one at a time? Uh, you know, who you guys are and what you do? for it, Ben. No, no, no. You, you go ahead and go. I always like to go first. <laughs> so my background, I'm a CPA. I worked uh, at Big Four, um, moved over into industry, worked for a $3 billion public company in their SEC reporting. My wife and I started flipping on the side. Um, we started investing passively into syndication deals. Um, I connected with Ben and moved over to the sponsor side about a year ago. And then, like you said, in the last six months, we closed 215 units, uh, worth about 20 million in acquisitions, and uh, raised about 8 million. Love it. Ben? Um, ben Leibovich, and if you don't know who I am, where in the hell have you been for the past 10 years? <laughs> I just don't even understand. I mean, like all over Bigger Pockets, you haven't been on Bigger Pockets, obviously, if you don't know who I am. It's true. Um, but I hate to talk about myself at this point because so much has been said. Every podcast I go on, it's like, oh, your story is so this and so that. And I'm like, can we talk about something? <laughs> like something that matters to somebody, you know, not talk about my story. So my name is Ben and I'm happy to be here and let's, let's start talking about real estate. Yeah. So you are an educator. I mean, you're constantly putting out blogs and, and helping out more people. You guys just put on this syndication workshop a few months ago, um, really educating people on the underwriting process and diving deep into it. Um, so that's just anybody out there that's crazy that hasn't seen any of your other podcasts or, you know, followed you on, on bigger pockets, they're obviously missing out. But let's talk about real estate. So you guys just closed some, you know, two big deals right now. And I know you guys both didn't start off that way. So how did you transition into, into big multifamily syndications and why? I get to go first again. <laughs> that's, that's my thing for, for this podcast for today. 
I'm going to be the nicest version of me that anybody. Is you're live? Are you nervous being live? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. I could be taking my clothes off right now and running across this room back and forth. You know, Ben, I, I would almost appreciate if you went first just so, you know, Sam could come in and clean up the mess afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> any chaos, Bravo. any chaos that you say, I'd rather Sam clean it up afterwards. Go for it, Ben. Okay. Um, I bought a few singles, figured out that's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, went to small multifamily. Uh, I think the teachable moment here is going to be something my – I want to sell a mentor or a friend or he just passed away a few months ago, maybe mm. six, seven months ago. Um, I asked him and, and I keep saying, restating this stuff because, you know, some things are so profound, you just keep coming back to it, right? And he, I, I asked him once, I said, you know, how do you know if you're moving in the right direction? Like you're performing acts, you're doing things, you're moving things around. You, you're, you're, you think you're facilitating progress, but how do you really know that the direction you're going in is right? And he told me very simply, he approached it, I think, logically from a mechanical point of view. He said, if you just make sure that every step you take is a little bigger than the step that came before it, then you are moving in the right direction. Just mechanically, by definition. This is, yeah. this is what it guarantees, that kind of movement. Now, you have to balance that with the other thing he told me, which is that you don't know a stumbling block from a stepping stone until you're very close to being on it, and then you figure it out. So it's a little more involved and a little more colorful, I think, than just saying, just make sure every st step you make it, you know. But that's exactly what I did, you know. I bought a few singles and just something didn't feel right. Didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't able to put the numbers to it, but I was kind of, I, I was getting it. It wasn't, it wasn't right. Uh, then I bought a duplex and I bought a triplex. Then I bought a six unit. Then I bought a 10 unit, you know, and, and you just, you, you keep, I never repeated myself. Yeah. I could have been in a place that said, hey, duplex works better than single, so let's just buy 15 of them. I could have done that. Um, but I've always approached the things that I do, not from a monetary standpoint, but from an intellectual worth standpoint. Like it's important for me to grow. So you're going to laugh, but we closed the 98 unit and now we closed the 117 unit and I'm pulling for the next deal. I don't care if it's by two units, but it needs to be bigger than 117 unit in order for me to be happy. It's kind of silly, but it's just served me so well to yeah. not trace my steps back, you know, conceptually even, you know. So that's how my growth happened. Now, there's a big gap there in between because when you get to 10 or 12 units, then the numbers change in a very substantive way where you approach, you have to really analyze things and see what works and what doesn't. And unfortunately, in order to be able to put color on that, you need to be in the business for a number of years in order to internalize the dynamics, in order to see why certain things don't work. Yeah. And so then maybe you do something different. But that's the kind of liberal arts um, answer to... So, yeah, I mean, overall, you don't know what you don't know until, until you are in it long enough and you realize, you know, what you were doing before 
you know, maybe it doesn't align with your current goals moving forward. And it just makes sense as you get into bigger units. Well, I, and I, I don't even think it's a matter of my goals. Okay. It's a, we're talking about structural things here. Yeah. It's not, you know, if, if buying fourplexes was going to be able to um, achieve the quality of life that I wanted to, then maybe there wouldn't be a reason to look past that. Yeah. The thing, structurally, what it looks like, what it acts like, what it, what it does to own 10 fourplexes is not the quality of life that I want structurally. Yeah. And so, and so that's what, the, you know, the decision-making process stops. You know, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you buy a house, you get $100 of cash flow. You know, how many, how many of those houses do you need to, you know, to replace your job income? Whatever. We all went, or most of us, went through that, Right. But that's not what this game is about. That's just rich dad, poor dad. That's yeah. not reality. Okay. So Sam, so you started off fix and flip and then you started, you know, investing in syndications yourself. Um, you know, what, what actually encouraged you to transition and, and being hands-on? So I went from full-time career to flipping and basically just switching from one career to the next. Still very active. We knew we wanted something passive, um, but I wanted, I didn't, I wanted completely passive. I didn't want to have to manage it. I wanted just something so I can still focus on flipping and invest passively. Um, so economies of scale management, that really led me to large multifamily um, and doing passive investing through other syndications. Um, they were all here locally in Phoenix. Um, then when I connected with Ben, I realized how much I liked the multifamily yeah, space. You realized how much you liked Ben. I mean, how could you not like Ben? <laughs> this guy, this guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> the one and only. Yeah. <laughs> well, it says that right there on my. For the yeah. people who can't see this on Zoom, it yeah. says the one and only Ben. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh my <laughs> God, Ben! <laughs> like, I love this guy. Oh, I'm so... a little cheesy, you know. Well, what can I say? Yeah. He changed it last week. Yeah. Um, well. So I knew I wanted passive, so I started to do, uh, invest passively, met Ben, um, I liked multifamily, and that's when I started considering, well, maybe instead of flipping, I can move my full-time career or job over to the sponsor side of multifamily, and then it'll also be related to my passive investing. Um, so now my passive investing is tied to what I do full-time, and it's just a better fit for me than flipping was coming from the CPA and accounting background. Yeah, okay, very good. So for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly, you know, what a syndication is, do you mind just diving into that just for a second? Yeah, um, it's a, a pool of investors that get together and then they assign a, a manager to their partnership and that manager is called a syndicator, a sponsor, um, and they are the ones who manage the investment, pick out the asset, close on the asset, work the business plan and then execute it and dispose of it. And then um, LPs usually have first position and then excess profits get split with between the passive investors and the I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Like, I, I'm like, so. I, I love it though, because, you know, you give the, the full like definition of it. You really break yeah. it down. And for a lot of people out there to really get the full grasp of it, you know, it's not, there's a lot more guidelines. There's a lot more IRS regulations that you yeah. need to abide by instead of just borrowing money from your neighbor. 
Right. Like I, I raise private money sometimes, but I don't have to go through all the crazy guidelines and everything else that you guys have to go through. So it is, there is a difference. Yeah. And you can't just raise money. Like you said, from, from anybody, um, the SEC regulates it. It's a cons considered a security. Yeah. Um, so the SEC regulates it. Um, and we use certain exceptions to you really, you really shouldn't really like to be safe. It, it's like really strange. You shouldn't really be raising money. Like you shouldn't be looking for money. Money should be looking for you. Money isn't looking for you. You're not doing something right. Yeah. You're doing something wrong. But let me, let me take a step back. I feel like I, every time he opens his mouth, that I have to step back and offer normal people language explanation that normal people can understand because he talks like he's still in the boardroom with a bunch of wigs and, uh, it's just, I, I don't know how accessible it is to people. Dumb it down but for I us, Ben. I think it's... Yeah, dumb it down for us, baby. <laughs> yeah, let me dumb it down. Dumb it down is my territory. That's, right. that's what I do is I dumb it down. I go on bigger pockets. Like, you know, to get in the mood for this, I knew I'd have to be dumbing things down. So to get in the mood for this, I went to BP, read some stuff. That put me in the mood for dumb down shit. Now I'm here. I'm Ooh. ready to dumb shit down. Okay? Okay. That's my respect for BP. <laughs> They're like, oh my Love you guys God. out there. But you know that's true. So don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. Throw it at us, Ben. My son and I, two days ago, had this conversation. And it's about, it's about competition. Yeah, because he is, he is doing drums, on the one hand, taking drum lessons. Mm -hmm. with a whole big drum set and everything in his bedroom, doing fantastic. On the one hand. On the other hand, He's involved in track where he is running and competing against other kids and he's, he always comes in last or next to last or something mm -hmm. like that. So we ended up having this conversation, which boils down to the way I live my life by choice, that it's less about competition and more about creation. Uh, what occurred to me at one point in time is that if you choose to create something, then nobody knows it even exists because it cre you created it. You, mm -hmm. you made something out of nothing, out of thin air. You created something that nobody's competing you, uh, for with you. And therefore, that improves your quality of life because spending your life in a corporate environment, competing, with other people for the same, you know, piece of little, little thing of bread or whatever. That's why Sam doesn't do it anymore. That's why Brandon Turner doesn't do it anymore. That's why all of the guys that left the corporate environment because it's cutthroat because it's about competition. So I had this conversation with my son and I said, creating something and partnering with people, like-minded people, who also want to create something is the way you accomplish big things in life, not by competing, but creating. Okay. Well, syndication is just a model of doing anything. You know, we didn't, don't have to raise money to buy an apartment building. We could raise money to buy a business. We could raise money to buy a, a movie theater. We could raise money to buy a McDonald's franchise. We could raise money to do anything. The point of syndication, the word of syndication, read partnership, read like-minded individuals who believe in the cause 
will do it. Now, the cause obviously have to include the return on investment, which is, you know, goes without saying. But that's the whole point of syndication. It's not this magical thing. Now, you know, there are pieces of terminology and there, there are technical components that are a bit of a black bag that nobody knows about unless you're in the middle of it and you have SEC attorneys that you can ask questions and things like that. But in general, it's all a function of simply saying, here, I have a really good opportunity because why? Because I created it. Who wants to jump on board because you agree with me that it's a really good opportunity? And that, at its core, is syndication. It's just, in our case, it happens to be an apartment complex or whatever. And then from there, you just simply take the next step and you understand that if you're going to be a wise marketing person, then you probably want to make it easier for people to find you. Because if you are known as a guy who doesn't compete so much, but creates opportunities for yourself and for for your partners, then people will want to find you. So you do what you have to do mechanically, strategically to position yourself for people to be able to find you. And so this morning, thus far, I think I might have raised a couple of hundred thousand dollars. It came into my email. It's not that I reached out to anybody and said, would you like to invest? I don't do that anymore. People reach out to me and say, hey, what you're doing is fantastic. Can, can we consider, you know, I'd like to look at your next deal. Put me on the list. A lot, a lot, of, you know, and that's how it's, that's how it's done. And that, that has, you know, kind of goes back to what you're saying with the personal brand. And if you have to really go out and search for all this money, you know, you're doing something wrong. But if you're, act- if you're taking action, you're getting deals and, and you're getting progress. Um, and getting a strong return for your investors, the money really comes into you, which is pretty powerful. So I, I, let's just dive into, I guess this last deal, you know, the 117 unit, or you guys can talk a little bit about both, whichever. Um, I want to talk about afterwards, after we kind of just do like a quick little introduction of one of these properties, the do's and don'ts, like what you would recommend to, to somebody kind of getting started. There's a lot of things you should do, a lot of things that you want to be wary of. Um, but before we dump, like jump into that aspect, let's kind of give the listeners a little overview of maybe the 117 unit. Sure. Sure. Um, 117 units. Uh, I'll let them go first again. <laughs> so kind split. of you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brett. Split evenly between uh, one and two bedrooms. Uh, we bought it for 10.75 million. I think we have a $1.5 million renovation budget, putting about half of that into the interior of the units, which is granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, shaker cabinets, wood look flooring, new bathrooms, new lighting fixtures, new plumbing fixtures. And we get about a $300 rent bump because of that renovation. Um, and then on the at common areas, we have a pretty large clubhouse that's not being used too much right now. We're splitting that up putting a, a fitness center in there, um, then remodeling the other half of it, um, redoing the, the pool area, putting in a dog park, um, upgrading the playground area. Barbecue area. Yeah, barbecue. <laughs> so, so pretty much everything you can do to the property, yeah. we're touching. So, so this is a, you know, a property that came into your hands that there, there's a lot of meat on the bone right here to really, you know, you're gonna have to remodel everything. Um, you, to, don't to, to, you don't you have, have to. to. 
and with you know with that you get into the strategies and, and yeah. things like that which is uh, we don't want to get too too advanced on this stuff right but you don't have to yeah uh, i mean leave, leaving me on the bone for the next investor that's an awesome exit strategy and i think well, maybe, I, that, okay. maybe that but then on the other hand think about this so we are late in the real estate cycle right yeah uh, and we are, Sam and I are very bullish on Phoenix and Phoenix yeah. happens to not be as late nearly in the real estate cycle as a lot of other markets, for instance. Having said that, if, if we're going to be really conservative, one of the reasons we are remodeling and doing such a good job with remodeling and really, really doing some very significant upgrades is because when the market does turn and people start offering discounts, we call them concessions, and people start, you know, racing to the bottom in order to, you know, we want to have the best product there is at that price point in that submarket because we feel that this is kind of an insurance policy for when the cycle does turn and the rent growth slows down and folks start fighting for tenants more. Right now, we have zero vacant units when we took over this property. And so let's that Let's talk about that for a second. So as far as, you know, having, having a strong product for, God forbid, if the market did turn, you want to have something strong that you could give, you know. Well, what do you mean if it did? It yeah. will. will. No yeah. When well, it, it, I think he means if it turns while we still hold the property. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Thank sure. you, Sam. Appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, <laughs> is there, you know, where you guys purchase the, the purchase price, do you think, I feel like most multifamily right now, it's very, it, it's, it's priced very high right now uh, in comparison to the, the last time when the market kind of collapsed. Um, well, let's talk about that yeah. because you are going to take us into the cap rate conversation. Yeah. Okay. And that is where Sam's going to pull your pants down and he's going to spank you a little tushy like this. <laughs> Here's a visual for you guys. Okay. Yeah. Um, because this, this is, this is, this is really literally, we, we talk about this, um, because the difference between newbies and seasoned investors. So what is a cap rate? Cap rate is not a measure of investment return. Mm -hmm. It's a metric that tracks investor behavior. It's a metric that backs in a cap rate is an output, not an input. Yeah. So when you take a closed transaction, you look to see what the NOI was when the guy purchased it, and you compare that to what he paid, your output is the cap rate, okay? So if somebody pays a five cap, that means they're willing to deploy capital at very minimal return on investment. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, why would investor be willing to deploy capital at a minimum return on investment. Because let's face it, there's places in the Midwest he could go and he could get nine cap. Even today, there are places he could go. Why would that sophisticated investor go into a marketplace where he has to pay a valuation consistent with five cap when he has an option of going in a different marketplace and getting a nine cap? Why? And the answer is risk. Mm -hmm. Because in a five cap market, what people are saying, they're voting for, uh, with their wallets. They're saying, we're bullish on this market. 
we feel safe in this market. We feel like our capital is going to be preserved in this market. We feel like this market has staying power, like it's going to continue to grow, all of that. Whereas if people are deploying at 9 or 10 cap, what the market has collectively decided is, this shit's not worth any more than that. Mm -hmm. Fine, we'll put some money into this market, but we want such a premium on our returns simply because there's nothing happening. There's no growth. There's aging population. The stock of buildings is old. There's nothing happening. So what does that, what, you know, why is that even a question? So we're buying a building at what amounts to be about a four and a half cap on in place revenues, but we're bumping rents by $300. And by the end of year one, we're going to be at five and a half. By the end of year two and a half to three, we're going to be closer to eight and a quarter, eight and a half cap. Mm. Okay. So, but we're going to own that building where our cash flows are consistent with eight and a half cap upon our basis. But we're in a marketplace that trades at five cap. So, so to your question, why are people concerned about your paying too much in this today's environment? If you can pay for, get an eight and a half cap in a four and a half to five cap market, people would do that all day. So that's basically what we're doing when you have a large value add like we have. Because do you see how you're doubling the value? Yeah. Now, in the future, though, I guess the, the pro forma of, because I knew with where the market's at, you guys are underwriting up to 10 years. Correct. Uh, so for the 10-year the mark or even seven, five years, you know, if, if the market did kind of go down, you know, what is, what is the play over time? The whole reason we do the 10 year holds are we would like to get out in three years or less. Of course. The whole reason we have the 10 year hold is if the market took a downturn during that and we have to hold on. And that, that's what the, it is. We just hold on for the cash flow and you're at 10% cash on cash return per year and you hold on until you have the market recovery and we can exit when we want. The, the 10 year just allows us to exit when we want and not when the market tells us to exit. I love it. Anything you want to shine in there, Ben? I feel I feel like you're ready to dive in. <laughs> no, no, I'm. It's, it's it's a good conversation. You're so yeah. tame. Yeah, we should we should uh, we should talk you know, we should talk about partnerships because in line with syndications, it's only appropriate to talk about partnerships. Yeah, and I used to hate the idea of partnerships. Like I would do what you did, which is borrow money with a promissory note and a deed of trust or a mortgage. Uh, and just did the debt side financing like that because I didn't want a partner. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't see the value of the partner, and all I saw was kind of a pain in the ass of having a partner. Now, a pain in the ass is still there. Yeah, sometimes it can be that way, but, you know, it, it is a marriage that you're jumping into. But I completely, totally love my partner. Like, our, our, our skill sets are so complementary. It's like... And, and frankly, not, not only our skill sets, but our perspectives are different enough. Like he's, you know, my sky is always falling and he's like, you know, this is always going up. Yeah. <laughs> Raising the roof. So, so, so it's a, it's a good, good, good balance. But I think it's important. Like your folks are listening to you. And I, I was very, um, I think vocal earlier on 
about warning people about partnerships. And it's fair. If you, if you go, if you get in bed with the wrong person, it's, it's really painful, um, potentially. But the right partner makes a lot of difference in your life. And so speaking of partnerships, you guys got mutually connected through Brandon Turner, correct? Yep. From Bigger Pockets. Yep. And so you guys were both active on there, but, uh, you know, he, he found that you guys, he, he knew you both pretty well and uh, obviously knew your goals kind of aligned. So it just made sense to connect you guys. And then after you guys just started building the relationship, how long until, I guess, since you guys met, that you decided like, hey, I think I think we could do something. Do you do you, do you want to tell that story or should Go for I? it. Go for it. <laughs> I'll let you have this one. <laughs> so we uh we went to Indianapolis. This is probably about first of all the imagery you have to have in your mind. It's like four thirty in the morning, and I'm at my dining room table, and he's in his office, and we're on the phone on speakerphone starting 4.30 in the morning, underwriting deals, like yeah. underwriting, going through the underwriting methodology, line item by item, piece by piece, to just kind of synergize our thought process because he's a CPA. He sees it one way. I see it a different way. That's part of why our partnership works so well is because we kind of see things starting in opposite directions and then we, we merge our thinking into a cohesive thing. Yeah. where I am always just this much more right than he is. Just, you know, not a lot, but just, just that much. Right? Yeah. But um, that was going on, I, I don't know, Sam, what, four months, five months before we did the Indianapolis? Yeah, about there. But, so but even, even before you got to that point of like, hey, let's start underwriting, let's get on the phone at, at 4.30 in the morning and start underwriting deals, you know, how did you guys lock in and – and realize, oh. like, I can do business with this person. I trust this person. They are the opposite of me. We, we, didn't, we didn't know. We didn't know. No, that's okay. the thing. We didn't know. So, so he was putting money into another deal that, of mine that fell apart. It never happened. Mm. But we ended up talking just yeah. because he was very interested. And he, he went and, and, and did all the, the guru seminars and all that stuff. And just, we just kept, kept in touch. And we, we didn't know. I mean, you don't know at first. But we knew enough that, like, it was interesting. We shared a point of interest. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't dislike each other. Um, yeah. And that's all we knew in the beginning. That's really all you know. So then we got into highest and best into a, a, a complex in Indianapolis and we, we flew out. We ended up not getting the deal, but we came close. It's a good thing we didn't get it. <laughs> what a nightmare that would have been. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's, those are the ones you don't deal. get. Yeah. But if you be in Phoenix or Indianapolis, like it's like comparing, you know, something to something else. Um, so we were at the airport on the way back at the layover, and we were sitting at this little little hamburger thing where they fry it for you right right there. And there's a high ta high top over here, and you're sitting and watching them fry the burgers and, and things. And I just turned to Sam and I said, "Why do you want to be partners with me? I could be an asshole." And he just kind of looked at me like that very naively, like, just don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, just don't be. <laughs> and, that, and that was just like, that describes our relationship, I think, going forward. I mean, that just kind of put a lid on it. You know, it's just like the whole thing is packaged. We all know where we are with this. 
and boom, it's out of the way. And now we can like each other and one of us doesn't pick up the calls from the other one because he doesn't, he, he feels like he needs some breathing room in between holding up the sky. You know, he just, he needs some degree of separation sometimes over the weekend. So he just doesn't pick up the phone call. And I, it took I me a while that. to realize I was, I, I would get pissed in, in, in the beginning. Like, dude, like we're under contract. Where the fuck are you? Like, yeah. I'm calling, I'm calling, and then I realized he's probably not picking up on purpose. <laughs> God needs to give you some time to just breathe. <laughs> so it, has there been anything that you guys have really uh, totally disagreed upon and had to overcome that? I'm sure on a regular basis, you guys are disagreeing on a couple things here and there. I mean, but we, we, yeah, we disagree on something almost every day. Yeah. Um, but we, we, I think we both pick our battles and most of the time come to a middle ground. Um, and I haven't, I don't know of anything that we just could not come to an agreement on, on anything. Can you think of anything, Ben? No, no. It's, it's always small things. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like insignificant things. It's like at the end of the day, I don't care. Right. <laughs> what? And both of us are like that. Yeah. It makes <laughs> you it know, it's like, I'm not going to argue with you. You like these guys? Okay, fine. <laughs> you deal with them. I, I you know, whatever. Um, but structurally or like the, the, the direction mm -hmm. of the ship, the, the ship is going in. We don't have any disagreements that way. Yeah. We, we agree on okay. the big stuff. And what kind um, of, if you don't mind me asking, like what kind of contract do you guys have between each other? Is that like a joint venture type of? We, don't, we, don't we have, have nothing. So every, every deal, we just come in as equal partners on the partnership gotcha. uh, and the general partnership. Um, and, and that's it. And, and we, we're, since we're equal partners, we do have a third party that is the tiebreaker if we ever do have a disagreement. Of course. Um, but I don't, I don't see us ever having to use that. And this structure may change because at, at this point it's getting kind of like, <laughs> how many companies do you want to brand? You know, it's like getting silly a little bit. So I think we're inching our way closer to just being partners inside an entity. And, and For sure. I love it. So, yeah, I, I think there, there are certain aspects of partnerships that I would definitely be cautioned about as well for any, any newbies getting started. Um, but at the same time, if, if you do find that, that magical other blessing uh, that is totally opposite of you, but you guys are like-minded and are laid back like you guys and really can um, agree to disagree when the time is right, but also, uh, you know, make the, make the deal work and, uh, and get everything done. Then I think that's what it's about. Uh, but do identify any listeners out there. Like it is a marriage that you're jumping into. So, um, yeah, so I would start start slow and go through a dating process. And that's kind of what Ben and I are still in. We're, we don't have a partnership outside of a deal. So yeah. each deal is its own joint venture. It stands on its own. But there's nothing outside of that that Ben and I have so far. And now, Ben, we're talking about joining, forming our own company outside of the deals. Um, but we've gone through a year of working together and know that we want to do that now. So I would, I would well, at some people point, to take that slow. At this point, like almost the way I see it, it's just like marriage. Like if you have that paper, that certificate, how much does it really mean? Because then you get another paper that says divorce on it. And then it's like that, that, that first paper never existed. At the same time, you could be living together for 40 years 
love and respect each other and build great things together without ever having that paper. Yeah. Right? Which is, at the end of the day, more of a marriage than so many others that do have that piece of paper. Yeah. You know, the crazy world we and, live in. <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree. I, I think um, I think that's awesome that you guys have been able to, to make it work and, uh, you know, moving forward. It, it is kind of like dating in the beginning. Um, but after a year working together, everything seems right. So, you know, then you can really take it to the next level. So I do want to talk about the do's and don'ts about syndications and, uh, you know, how you guys have, have gone about raising, like you guys are going to have a added value of 300 per door. Mm-hmm. That's pretty damn impressive. Maybe one of you guys goes into the do's, well, you know, I, well, I don't know. One of my do's that I, I really harp on a lot is using professionals whenever you can. Uh, someone who is, ex- is an expert at that subject. So one of the like mortgage brokers. Yeah. And we're really big on using a mortgage broker. Their job is to make sure that, and we've told this to you at PSW, their yeah. job is to make sure that that loan gets closed. They, so <laughs> that's a big part of closing a deal um, is the loan. I mean, the commercial loans are really hard to put through. You need 150 documents uh, that you're providing to the lender. Uh, so you just want someone to keep all that organized and they're worth every penny. Um, for for our, our renovation, we have a property management company that has a construction arm and they we pay them 5% fee to manage all of the construction. Um, and they do the draw request with the lenders and all that. And, and so professionals, for me, the biggest do is professionals. professionals. Yeah. Sam, I, I knew you would take the, the initial like action on, on going for the pros. And I, I almost really wanted to switch it up because I wanted Ben to, to try to find the gold in this situation and, and get some pros instead of, uh, you know, maybe the, the don'ts. But, yeah. but nevertheless, Ben, what kind, of, what kind of don'ts do we have? Ben's more of the pessimist. He's better at this part. Yeah. <laughs> it comes off natural. <laughs> uh, I... I, I this love used to, love. <laughs> because like the more you know yeah. the more you realize how much you don't know and you know i am in that place yeah it, it, it like in spades okay and i know, <laughs> i know a lot of stuff when it comes to real estate but that space you know it's it's difficult to to, to tell people don't don't buy single family don't buy small. Don't do anything that's going to require you to trade one job for another. Mm. The less you work, the more money you make. You, you, you need to create instead of work for it. Oh. Um, you are not going to get professionals at this low level because it's not worth their time. That is true. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just simple things i think and and self self explanatory things and self evident things but so many people miss them like it's just as easy to put a deal together on 10 million dollars as it is on 1 million dollars mm. so why would you mess around with 1 million dollars yeah now you know, i think a lot of people's mindset possibly out there would be you know I'm sure you guys can relate because as a lot of people first getting started, you feel like, well, I need to get a single family first and then maybe a duplex 
and then you know maybe I can get a 10 unit and kind of level your way up and I completely agree with that and what I told you that story at the outset of my mentor and things yeah I would never tell you to go straight like there's a lot of gurus running around telling people ah, oh, don't worry about the fourplex don't worry about the eightplex go straight and syndicate a hundred units. that's just asinine mm. what do you know about a hundred years do you know how much dynamic you have to internalize before you're anywhere near ready this kind of game and assuming this kind of responsibility for so much of the people's money of course you have to grow into it all i'm saying is what i'm harping on is that when i see a guy going out and getting a house rental getting another house rental getting another house rental getting another house rental you know or or a duplex and another duplex and another you know you got to think outside the box you yeah. got to think bigger once you've internalized and learned what you were meant to learn on this particular thing yep. move on with life yeah so you're basically saying like somebody that's getting 30 50 units all in the residential you know realm is just that, that's ridiculous well, I, and i think they will tell you that themselves yeah. if i can't tell you how many conversations i've had with people so many people at the phoenix indication workshop were in that exact spot you know it's just that it's easy enough to fall into that frame of mind yeah and by the time you finally open up your eyes you are stuck with a hell of a job managing this nonsense that you created, which is why when I got up to 30 units, I stopped because I, you know, that's how long it took me. Mm -hmm. the reason I, I, I have one of the reasons I have so much respect for Sam is because he was able to get there mentally just by looking at the numbers. Yeah. Just like things don't make sense. Like 24 units doesn't make sense. 60 units doesn't make sense. Although he tried me to uh, get me to buy, buy a 60 unit, which is a whole other story. Uh, good thing we didn't. But um, he figured it out. He figured out just by looking. That's the difference between a violin player and a CPA. He figured out just by looking at the numbers that things don't work. So for me, it took being in the game and growing and growing and growing and growing and then the light goes off. Mm. So, you know, all I'm trying to tell you and your listeners is like, look at me and see if you can get your light bulb to go off sooner before you are buried under a mountain of these units in Midwest. And yeah. you realize that maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. Yeah. You know, I, I really love how you guys pick the location of Arizona. Obviously you guys live there. So that, that helps, but you know, Ben, you're originally from Ohio and that's yeah. where you started off investing. So, and that's where I currently invest along with some other States now. And there's, you know, we have to deal with in the Midwest, the weather, which is a real pain in the ass. Yep. And, uh, and you guys don't have to deal with that, which is, nope. which is definitely a blessing. It's a blessing not to have to do with it on a personal level, but also yeah. in, on a property and investment level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our, our operate, our operating expenses are lower just because we don't have to deal with, uh, bad weather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so true. So, Okay, so as far as, you know, dealing with professionals as well, um, you know, what, what would you say, I know there's like a certain break that you just said like 60 units doesn't make sense because, yeah. you know, overall you're just not going to be able to afford the real property managers that are super professional that really buy your freedom back. Like you're still going to have to be hands-on and that would be a pain in the ass. So, you know, where do you think that, that, that number is that really lies that that somebody can get maybe an 80 unit 70 unit 
So with what we're buying uh, and the rent levels that we get, it's about 100 units. And that allows you to have full-time on-site property manager and full-time on-site maintenance personnel. Um, yes. But it but depends on your rents. So if you're in yeah. California and you're getting $2,000 rents, you can afford that salary a little bit sooner. And so you can go smaller. Yeah. Right. So the big picture is think dollars. Don't think percentages. Don't think unit count. Think dollars, right? So to run an apartment complex, you need at least one person in the office and one person on the maintenance staff. Mm -hmm. That's, this is what you need. Full now, time. we use a part-time person also for Saturdays because our, our main resident is not going to be there on uh, manager is not going to be there on Saturday. So we want somebody part-time. But what is the dollar amount for that? I mean, if, if your manager is getting $45,000 and your maintenance guy is getting $40,000 plus overtime, plus FICA, plus insurance, health insurance, what is that, what's that going to add up to? Well, no matter which way you twist it, it's not going to be underneath $120,000 and likely it's going to be between $130,000 dollars $140,000. Well, then you average that amount into your, uh, uh, you know, your number of units and you realize that, you know, that's a difference of going from, you know, 1125 per door to, you know, $1,400 per door. And if your rents are between like, you know, 800 and a thousand dollars, you just can't afford it unless you have about a hundred units. So it's, it's all about dollars. Yeah. Okay. So you said about 120, 140. Yeah, on the average, I mean, depending on how much you're paying people, and that's a function of your marketplace, how easy it is to attract talent, such and such and such. But mm -hmm. uh, basically, yeah, I mean, if, you're, if you've got $50,000 for the manager, plus $40,000 for the maintenance guy, that's 90, plus you need a 20% overhead, or at least 15% overhead, okay? Plus you need some healthcare, plus you need some overtime, plus, you know, you need, may need some part-time people here and there. So that right there gets you to that 130, 140. Um, and then the efficiencies are very interesting because with that staffing, you can run an 80 unit, which if we assume the same rents, you can run an 80 unit, which is going to be expensive. You can run a 60 unit, which is going to be completely undoable. Mm. on the cash flow side. You can run 100 units, which is going to start approaching being comfortable. You can run 120 units, which is going to be right on. But then when you get up to, let's say, 140 units, all of a sudden you need more staff. Yep. Because that's too many units for, for one maintenance guy to handle. So your numbers go up. So now you are inefficient again. And now you need, let's say, 150 units or 160 units because the same staffing can absorb 140 and 160. Now you're efficient again. Yeah. And then, and then, so, so it, it's always a moving target. You know, it's, it's, and it depends on the, the price point. You know, if you're buying in Ohio and your rents are going to be $600, you're going to need 120 for the same result that we get here for 80. Mm. You know, uh, just because the rents are that much lower. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you're working with a large property manager, they can help you figure out these numbers and they're the ones who are gonna know the payroll. Um, so our, our property manager, they have 21,000 units. They'll tell us we won't manage a property here in Phoenix under 100 units. They know what the numbers are and they know what it takes to make it work efficiently.
So they manage your property manager. They they manage twenty one hundred units. Twenty one thousand. Sorry. Twenty one thousand. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So how do you, how are you guys connecting with these professionals as far as like property management, um, mortgage brokers? So that's that's the tricky part is because these guys just don't pay attention to to small timers. Yeah. And there's nothing easy about getting somebody to pick up the phone at that level, pick up the phone first, and then take you seriously enough to actually have a conversation with you. Mm. And let's face it, before you are somebody, you are necessarily a nobody. That's just, that's just a reality of all of our lives. So the only thing I can tell you is what's helped me is extreme levels of education. Like when I'm approaching these guys, my underwriting, I studied it so hard and so much that my underwriting represents a, a, a much better underwriting than a lot of people who've been doing this for 10 years yeah. or 20 years owning buildings. Okay. It, it, and that's what opened doors for, for us to be able to portray ourselves as smarter beyond our level of experience at that. Point. Yeah. I would say once you have the education and you can have an intelligent conversation with these people, don't be afraid to approach them. Their businesses they make money from you. They want you to have that relationship with you as well. Of course. Um, so, so once you have that level of knowledge that you can carry on conversations with them and they can take you serious, just approach, start approaching them. Um, and then the best way to find others is through referrals. But what we found, that's how we found, yeah. that's how we found almost anybody. We our closing attorney, our mortgage broker, um, pretty much anybody on our team is a referral from our property manager that we first connected with. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that's how I go about, obviously on a small scale, but uh, always with referrals. I, I definitely, I've been screwed over every, every way uh, under the sun pretty much before I started actually just going only with referrals. Yeah, and, and uh, it's and, great. yeah, and when you can talk the talk, you're educated enough to, to know the difference, then you know, the referrals are the best. So we are running uh, short on time. So, you know, I want to dive in. You guys are starting a podcast pretty soon, which is pretty exciting and definitely on a higher level talking syndications. Um, mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Definitely want you guys to plug that and let people know how they can find you guys with the podcast. But is there any, you know, final words that you guys would like to mention in regards to do's and don'ts? I would say don't wait. I think a lot of people wait too long. They always think they're going to be better prepared in the future or the market will be better in the future. Yep. And for me, it's always worked out. Just obviously you don't do it haphazardly and know what yeah. you're doing, but just get in there and start learning by doing it. Yeah. I, say, I love that advice. That's good. Yeah, it's, that's, that's good advice, but it comes from a person who hasn't been burned yet. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's a function of him being that good or that lucky or a combination of both, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. My advice is don't be afraid to be afraid. It keeps you sharp. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps you conservative. Uh, it keeps you, um, you know, it's, it's a fine balance between being paralyzed by fear and, and yet afraid in a healthy kind of way. So I'm a big proponent of being afraid. Uh, I, I started buying in 2006 and I lived through 2008, 2009, and I saw what happened to a lot of people. 
I wouldn't recommend anybody not be afraid. Uh, be afraid, but just take action on spite of it. If you've properly underwritten the risks and you believe in the project, do it. Uh, but be cognizant. Don't, don't let anybody tell you you are silly for being afraid. Be afraid. All right. I like that. Well, <laughs> I feel like I don't agree with that, Ben, but, but I like it. I'm going to just leave it at that. that. That is good. I know you don't agree with that. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a person that I feel like fear, um, a, a lot of people live in fear out there and it really holds them back. And I, I think if people would take more action, there would just be, you know, you might fail. You might fail sooner and, uh, and it might really set you back. But if you're constantly taking action, you're always going to outperform somebody that's procrastinating and sitting on the sidelines and, and you know, you're, you're talking, you're talking like a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> what you don't know and won't find out for a while is what it feels like when you're 50. Of and you're, you're not 50 you're, yet. Are you Ben? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. You're a baby. I am old enough to appreciate what it's like to go through a dot-com bubble when it's time for you to retire in a year and a half and the carpet is pulled from underneath you or what it's like when you mortgage yourself up the wazoo on a piece of dirt that you are putting in a subdivision on that a friend of mine did and 2008 happens and your world turns upside down what you haven't seen personally and therefore haven't internalized yep. is what it does to people's lives. Yeah. So I don't think I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if we're defining fear in the same way. Of I course. Yeah. I, you know, I don't mean to say that you get paralyzed by it and you don't act because there's every reason right now to be bullish in America and real estate and apartments and all of that the demographics, everything supports it. Of course. But, it's a calculated uh, risk behind it's it. A, it's a calculated risk. And, yeah. and you should always like mentally know, like just always think of the worst. What is the worst case scenario that could happen? And then maybe even kind of dwell on, is there anything actually worse than that? Because, you know, at the end of the day, you never know what could happen. Just like 2008, you know, nobody, there was a handful of people that were taking action left and right and just assumed that they could refinance in another six months. And they would get, you know, another hundred thousand worth of equity. Um, so, so there, there is, there's a fine line of taking action and, and calculated risk behind it. Yeah. 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 Cool. So how can people reach out to you guys? Um, I'm at whitehavencapital.com. Uh, ben. And I am at justaskbenwhy.com. And uh, the podcast, we're going to be long podcast. It'll be, it'll be interesting recording it right now. Uh, it'll be a different format. There won't be any guests. There won't be any interviews. It'll be a, a very, very, I would say, high-flying roundtable discussions about all things relative to large multifamily syndication, all of that stuff. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to, to pushing it. that out. The name of the podcast, I think we've decided finally, is Multifamily Syndication Unscripted. And... Uh, we're hoping we're shooting for some time in, in April okay. to push out the first season. We're, yeah, we're going to do it a little bit different where it's going to be like you know, all your digital TV shows now and uh, online TV shows like Netflix where you release a whole season at once. 
Oh, I love it. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do that in uh in April is what we're shooting for. Yeah, that's definitely a different spin. So you guys aren't gonna have any guests on. So um, it's just gonna be interviewed guests. We could have inter like subject matter uh, experts. Cool. With what we're talking about, um, but it's still gonna be a roundtable, and we don't have any planned as of now. I love it. I love it. So, you know, it's it's. Um, Part of what like is confusing about the typical format with guests is of course everybody's got their own way. And at times it's like, just show me the thing, the one yeah. thing, and let me just bang it out and see how far I can get, you know. And that's where the it gets confusing, it gets overwhelming, and there's a plethora of podcasts out there, and everybody has their own spin on it, and everybody gets these guests, and they come on, and all of the guests have a different perspective and, and, and all of that. And so we just kind of thought, let's take a different approach. I like to teach. You know, I, I've done it for, for a decade. So let's just, let's see if we can, but, but in order to kind of attain some amount of continuity from one show to the next show to the next show, we thought, why don't we do a season at a time, decide the scope of what we want to accomplish in one season, and then just pre-record everything and then push everything out. And that way people can really achieve some continuity of thought and, and, and actually learn something in one direction, moving in one direction, you know? So, so the way we're looking at it is kind of like the next phase. It's not one of the ones introducing you to real estate. It's once you know what you want to do, say multifamily syndications in this yeah. case. Yeah. Uh, and then you're just going to dive deep in and start learning a lot about that specific topic. I love it. So it's really like the, the Excel version of, you know, once you actually know what the hell you're doing a little bit in yeah. the, in the residential, then step it up with the big dogs and, and really get educated. Yep. I love it. That's going to be exciting. Well, definitely looking forward to that. So that's going to be uh, sometime in April. Yeah, we're hoping we're hoping sometime in April we'll be able to push it out. Okay, cool. So everyone that's listening, uh, definitely go check these guys out on social media, uh, Facebook, um, Ben Leibovich and Sam Grooms. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to find out more information as you guys update us and, and post on social media with, you know, when the when the podcast is actually coming out and how people can listen to it. But I know I'm definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. It's definitely going to be a lot of breakthroughs and helpful. You know, when I, I got to go to your guys' workshop, I was definitely blown away, you know, the, the underwriting process. That's all we were really talking about. And right. in a short period of time, you definitely overwhelmed the hell out of me, <laughs> which I'm sure that was part of the, part of the uh, you know, the, there's reasoning behind that as well. But it, it was very, it was very good. And uh, there, there is a lot of moving parts. So I definitely... It, it, it'll actually sound familiar to you. The first season is basically a summary of that first day of the workshop that we had. So you guys just recorded it and that's going to be the first one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Now that's multitasking. I like it. Repurposing. <laughs> well, it just, we, we have a, we have a different approach, right? Uh, we, we know it's overwhelming, yeah. but you know, in a recorded format where you can go back and listen to it and internalize it and this and that, hopefully it's going to be helpful. Um, at the same time, you know, live, you know, we're, we're starting at eight o'clock in the morning and we're going until five and we've got the spreadsheet on the screen and we're walking, you know, there's, there's things you can capture in that format that you obviously could capture in a podcast. Yeah. Obviously. 
So, you know, for you, it's going to be a lot of value because you've had both. And so it'll probably, for for someone like you, it'll be a lot of value. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. You know, I'm actually just like thinking about this whole interview right now. And I'm really surprised that we didn't butt head. Like we played it very safe today. (laughs) You know, Ben Ben was a little calm today. Yeah, you were super calm. Somebody gave you volume or something before you got on here. (laughs) Yeah. I behave myself. Yeah, Patricia just hooked it up for me. Thank you. Tell her, tell her nothing but love. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you know, I, I really love you guys both. You guys uh, awesome human beings and really extremely knowledgeable about real estate investing. Uh, you're playing on, uh, you know, the higher levels, which a lot of people out there are scared of doing. And, uh, and, and kind of like myself, like I've always – you know, I, I've right from the beginning, I knew I wanted to jump into that atmosphere, but I, I'm, I'm the typical person out there saying, you know, I got to start with one little thing at a time and I'll slowly work my way up. And, and you guys have definitely broken off some limitations. I'm not there yet, but at the same time, you've broken off some, some mindset limitations from me, which is, you know, that, that's what it's all about. So I appreciate awesome. you guys tremendously. Yeah, Thanks, Brandon. Fantastic. And, and you know when you're ready. Of course. Yep. People ask me, well, how do you know when you're ready? The answer is you know when you're ready because you've got so much of people's money that you are carrying responsibility for on your shoulders. You're not going to do it until you're ready. So you'll know when you're ready. And if you can't, if you don't feel that you're ready, just don't do it. It's just a recipe for disaster. So true. So true. It's good. Well, this is another great episode. I appreciate you guys so much for jumping on. Uh, for any of the listeners out there, if you guys found value in this, I know you have. Make sure you share this out. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes um, and, and leave a review. That always helps the iTunes algorithms to really push it out there and, and recommends it to more people. If you do leave a review and a uh, and subscribe, make sure to send a screenshot of that to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott, REI. And I will send you my book, Action Driven, absolutely for free. So I definitely want to get your hands on this little free giveaway for you guys just to show love back and help promote this out to more people to cut off the limitations and overall just educate, motivate, and prepare people to take action in real estate investing. So uh, you can always reach out to me on brandonelliottinvestments.com as well. But till next time, Really do appreciate you guys again. You guys were awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brad. Stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.